I want to know when fantasy football class starts. I want my PhD in that. Kid. Let's That's be honest. Is it is it really that far fetched? There was um he do interviews on um WEI. He was a lawyer. Uh, he do it during the uh, Spike Spike Gate. No, it wasn't Spike Gate. Uh, Deflate Gate. He actually taught a summer course on Deflate Gate. He was an he was an attorney, and he actually taught a course. Oh, Michael McMahon, and it was uh, some college in um. New Hampshire, um, Vermont, or Maine. But he taught a course, and it was it actually counted on Deflategate and the, the legalities behind Gate uh, Deflategate because you know it didn't just start it didn't just end with on the no field. no it God, went no. all the way to Supreme Court it went way way too far which is why he could teach it as you know a course it was like a, a law degree course that he could teach it was amazing I can't believe something I mean I understand from the law standpoint it was more to it but I can't believe something that could have been disproven by a fourth grade science project went that far it's crazy I know hey here's your okay your opening statements hey your honor ladies and gentlemen of the jury no this isn't sport court but ladies and gentlemen of the jury you know when you walk outside sometimes in the winter time and your yeah. tires like three or four pounds under pressure. Yes. And then, you know, you start using it, you start driving a little bit, and then it fills right back up. I rest my case. Done. There you go. <laughs> Could have saved everybody months and months of not dealing with that BS, worrying about the size of Tom Brady's balls. Excuse me, the weight of Tom Brady's balls. I, I don't know. I, there's no anywhere, fo- we, anywhere we can go from there, or you just no, want to start? There, there's no follow up from that. You just want to start now? The, I, I the game point and match to Chris and that's it. We move All right, on. cool. Let's go. I like winning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I am Chris. I am Ben. And we are here to bring you our opinions on the news, notes, and random happenings from around the world of sports. Fun show planned for you today. We have uh, A.B. Antonio Brown apparently training with an NFL legend for a, a uh, attempted return to the game. We have yet another update on a few different proposals from Major League Baseball on how they can return. And the NBA is just moving forward with their plan to restart, and they have you know worked out some more details. But first, we did our top five offensive second-year players last show. This time, we are going to do our top three defensive second-year players. Now, why top three, you say, not top five? Uh, we honestly, we tried, and it was we had a really hard time with it. I mean, I know, I know ben, ben came to me a couple hours ago, and he's like, did you get five? And I was, no, no, I didn't yet. I, it isn't that you couldn't pick five people. It was just, it was really hard to order them once you got past the top three for me. And it would it just, it, we wouldn't have been able to really give our reasons and defend it. So, uh, I mean, we want top three. We want to put the best, you know, product we can out there. We don't want to just... Make it a top five for the sake of being a top five. We thought top three, we could really do a better segment. So that's what we, we went top three. I think I think because we as as like we did last time, we came at it from different perspectives, right? With the different ideal and the way we thought about it, each of us, we couldn't really come up with a top five. No, um, just the way you thought about yours and the way I thought about mine, and we went over it. We have 
both of our lists are completely different. But the way we approached it, it just just didn't make sense that I barely got four. And even my fourth one is the way I approach it just doesn't really fit into what I what what we're what we're looking for. So I think that's why we did top three. Um, yeah, and I think with defense, it, it comes up comes down to more than offense. Is a little easier with stats. You yeah. look at stats and say, okay, this guy can continue to do this in this offense and build on you know based on offensive linemen they picked up or a new quarterback or whatever the case may be. Where it comes to defense, it's more schemes and. More of a general feel, more of an observation. Like I've watched this guy play, I know you know X Y Z about this player, and I think they're really going to perform in a new system or with a new player. Or like in the case of my number two selection, there's somebody who was added to that team. I think will drastically help this player. We'll get to that. I'm not going to jump around, but we'll get into it. Who do you have for number three? Number three, I'm going with a uh, Juan Thornhill. Free safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. Fun to Chiefs he, defense. He, I agree. Yeah, I trashed the the Kansas City Chiefs defense most of the year, rightfully so. I mean, multiple times in the playoffs, they were down three touchdowns, and I think a portion of the end of the I don't even think I'm not even sure if I remember him playing in the postseason because I think he got injured. Um, but I feel like. Two things are at play here. The the uh, the off season for that entire division has altered, um, especially with the Denver Broncos, and uh, portionally with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, that they're going to have to play a lot more cover two, or even cover three. And if you want to be, if you want to use Tyron Matthew as that kind of annoying pest where you don't know where he's going to play and you want him to be an impact player, you need to have your free safety be that deep safety center fielder to basically cover for anything that happens in front of uh, behind Tyron Matthew. And I think Juan Thornhill kind of showed shades of it last year, and I think he's going to improve that drastically to allow – a Tyron Matthew to play more aggressive because you're going to have to do that with the offense the Denver Broncos are putting on the field. With the offense that, and I think with Henry Ruggs III added to that Raiders offense, especially if, as you predicted, if Marcus Mariota comes on the field, a fully healthy, integrated that offense, he adds a dimension if he plays to his top level that Derek Carr will never have. And then the X factor of what the Chargers will be, which we don't know what they'll be, but we know the difference between... We have an idea. Right. But the difference between Bill Rivers and, and Tyrod Taylor, and in that matter, Justin Herbert, is totally different. But with all that said, that that is why I think he's the third, my third-ranked player um, on making a breakout, if you will, uh, season for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, who do you have third? I have uh, Patriots defensive end Chase Winovich. I really think this guy is going to step up. You have these these players on the Patriots. Your Teddy Bruskies, your Mike Vrabels, your Rob Ninkoviches, who on other teams 
may not have known how to have been used properly and just would kind of be there, rotating and out, not really make that much of an impact. Belichick took a guy like Winovich for a reason. I mean, it's hard to say a guy who's 6'3 and 250 is not big, but he doesn't appear big. And I've never seen him actually side-by-side with guys like J.J. Watt or whatever, but he does not appear to be very big for a defensive end. But this guy showed a lot of heart last year. He was a lot better than people gave him credit for. And his numbers weren't astounding, and I'm not saying he's going to go break the sack record, but I really, really believe this guy is going to step into a leadership role with a defense that is, I mean, let's be honest, the defense was great last year against medium to low-level talent when they they faced a lot of higher-end offenses they did struggle. I mean, guys like Hightower aren't going to be around forever. Stephon Gilmore probably has one more year unless he restructures. They're going to need new leadership to step up and really prove it on the field. And I think Winovich is the guy who can do that. I really do. So I think he's going to have a very, very good sophomore season. I think he's going to prove again to people who doubted him why Belichick has the faith in him he does. We know my position on Chase Winovich. I saw him for all his career at Michigan. So I kind of know what he is. I know he's a high-motor guy, not super athletic. He's going to work hard to get what he can. Early on in the season, they're going to fire as many bullets at linebacker as possible. Well, I know you said he's defensive end. I know he's dropped the defensive end, and he played defensive end at, at Michigan. Uh, but he is an outside linebacker. That just His built, his size, it just speaks to, and the fact that they're playing a 34 defense, although, let's be honest, Bill plays pretty much every defense he goes week by week. Yeah, he matchups, yeah. So you you can never say they're a 34 or 43. Sometimes you'll see six linebackers on the line, which is crazy to think, but it's it's a sight to see. I just think that they're going to be firing so many bullets at linebacker between you have Jace, Chase Winovich, you have Juwan Bentley, who they drafted the year before Chase. You still have Dante this year. John Simon, Josh Uche, and Anthony Jennings, who they drafted this year. Brandon Copeland, who they signed from the uh, New York Jets, who he feels he's going to play a big role. And there was a lot of hope with the Jets last year that he was going to play a big role. Derek Rivers, who's still on the team. I mean, there's just a lot of... I, I, and they have Shaquille Calhoun, who they brought back on a, a, a small contract, who played more snaps on defense than I thought he would play. But he mostly played on um, special teams. Plus all the other backup players they have. There's a lot of bullets they're going to try to fire. Um, I just don't know how much he's going to have opportunity. Unless, especially with this shortened offseason I think we're going to have. That they're going to keep it basic. And they're going to try to fire so many bullets at linebacker with... Juwan Bentley and Dante Hightower are taking the bulk of it, and they're just going to see what each of these players have because each of them have a different skill set. Josh Uche is roughly is the same as what Trace Benefit did, except he's got more um, athletic ability, but he had less production at Michigan than Trace Benefit had because he, so, he had more uh, motor or more opportunity in that in that defensive end position. 
What what did you say he was? Undersized, unathletic. No, he has less athleticism than a Josh Uche or Anthony Jennings. Well, I remember another guy who I understand came from Michigan, who people said the same stuff about named Tom Brady. Who, yes, I know. And I'm just saying, he got his chances. I understand there's a lot of people on that defense and a lot of linebackers. I get what you're saying. I really do. But at the end of the day, that defense is less talented this year than it was last year by quite a bit. And you have less pieces that know where they belong. And I really think a guy like Winovich, when his time comes, he will make the most of it. I'm not saying he's going to be in there every down. I'm not saying, like I said, he's not going to break the sack record. That's not how Belichick's defenses work. It, it, it's it, it's a team. It's not just one focused on one player getting numbers. But I really think this kid is better than he gets credit for, and he's gonna prove it when he gets the chance. I get it. I get it. I just think if he starts, if if he starts to flash that he can get a pass rush one on one, then what they're gonna do is they're gonna start sliding protection because we know Hightower is a Patriot Hall of Famer, and depending on how he ends his career, he could see the Hall of Fame. He's lost a step. We agree oh, with yeah. that? Oh, yeah. He's yeah. injuries and, and father time. And, and yeah. Juwan Bentley, we don't know what his ceiling is. Um, and he's only played one full season, and he had that injury. And, and except for the rookies, a lot of these guys are what they are. So I'm just – I'm cautious with Chase just because – I guess because I've seen him so much that I just am cautious with him. And yeah. I huh? – I'll see. I can see incremental change, uh, a progression. I just can't see that jump that we're looking at for this. But who's, your, uh, who's the second player you can see a jump with? Then uh, Trayvon Mullen with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, last year, he started off as the number three behind. I had it up earlier, and I completely forgot who the. Other corners were uh, Jerry and Collin was one who was a former first-round pick, and then I'm blanking on the other one that started ahead of him. But he's entering the season um, essentially as the number one because I don't know if you call Prince of Mukamura at this point a number one corner. Yeah, I don't know. He's getting a little up there. Yeah, so he's going to start as the number one corner. He's shown tremendous flash last year. There were a couple times where he went out of games uh, due to injury. But he showed so much flash. They kind of, I don't want to say they reformed the defense. They did reform the um, secondary. Um, and he's got a partner, uh, second-year starter, Jonathan Abraham, Abram. And they brought Demarius, uh, Demar, uh, Demarius Randall. So essentially they have two second-year players and two veteran players in their secondary. And I think Trayvon Mullen is going to have opportunity to excel in this defense factoring in that you have Max Crosby another second year player and Cleveland Farrell on that defensive line there's so much on this defense that they've they've changed that I think it's just going to produce an opportunity for Trayvon Mullen and factoring in again the division they're in there's so much going on between Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos that you're going to need uh, a cornerback to grow quickly. And he grew so much in his first year, I think he's just going to 
grow that much more this next year. Number two, I have Arizona Cardinals cornerback Byron Murphy. Uh, didn't know anything about this guy coming out of college. I mean, I, I as I've stated many times and admitted, I'm not really the college connoisseur that Ben is. I think he knows every angle and, and tackle and staff from every player from every conference of the past 30 that years. That is false, in his head. I, I am well No, it's, I'm not knocking That's a compliment, man. You, you just rattle all this stuff off the top of your head, it seems. You know, if you can't imagine living in New England, you don't exactly get front and center for Arizona Cardinals games. The thing I like about this guy is he has 66 tackles as a cornerback. Now, you may say that that's not great because that means that 66 times somebody got the ball in the secondary. Well, that doesn't mean it's all his fault. Could have been running plays, could have been plays that were in front of him, could have been plays that somebody else missed coverage on. But what I like about that is he has to tackle well. You don't miss players and get those kind of stats at cornerback. He was ball hawk in college. Whether that means he actually got the interceptions or not. Only had one interception last year, not that impressive. But the reason I think he can make the jump is they still have Chandler Jones, Patrick Peterson, as long as there's no issues or injury problems or anything else, will still be across from him. And now they have... Isaiah Simmons. If a guy who can rush a passer or pretty much do anything else on the field that you can possibly imagine, this is going to open up opportunities for him. The quarterback's not going to have as long to hold the ball. So you got a guy who has a, hist- uh, a, a, a reputation as being a ball hawk, who can tackle, who can stay on man coverage, and he's going to now have the benefit of uh, a defense that can rush the passer and really disrupt plays. Nothing more a cornerback could ask for, except for maybe to have a future Hall of Famer on the other end of the field, and Patrick Peterson, which, oh, he has that. So he's in about as good a shape as you can imagine at that position going into the season. Um, I think we could see him in the Pro Bowl. I mean, I know the game itself is uh, kind of a dud, but the honor is not. We got for one. Well, can I just add on to that? Sure. Because I think um, a couple points to emphasize your point is between the signing of, of Devondre Campbell, which, by the way, they have him as a backup in this depth chart, which personally offends me because Devondre Campbell should be a starter. But with him on top of Chandler Jones, Jordan Hicks, Isaiah Simmons. I forgot they got Campbell. Uh, Jesus and Devin Kennard, which I don't know that much about because again, we're on the East Coast. We watch the Patriots mostly and the AFC, so we don't know much about them. Zach Allen, who's a second-year player, Jordan Phillips, who they picked up from Buffalo, who's a stud nose tackle, which by the way they played in thirty-four defense. This is a lot of youth, and then we get to the secondary, which we have Patrick Peterson, yes. But Jalen Thompson, who's a second-year player, Buda Baker, who's I believe a third-year player, and then your your uh, your pick, Byron Murphy, who's now a second-year player. You have a lot of youth behind this, and in adding, I would say two pieces in and Jordan Phillips at nose tackle, and Devondre Campbell, who even though he's projected to be a backup, I think has, has Super Bowl experience, has playoff experience. Um, and understanding that even though you have Hassan Reddick, who they drafted what would be four years ago now because they, they uh, ditched him on his fifth-year option, identifying that he's not the answer and saying Isaiah Simmons is. 
you're identifying issues and you went out there and, and got it. Now, we're not even talking about the offense because we know what the – we've already went down the offense road with the Arizona Cardinals. We know what that is, making the blockbuster move. You've also countered that by adding depth on in defense with veteran players or a starter in Jordan Phillips. And over the past two to three drafts, you just added pieces and pieces and not trading Patrick Peterson – when the rumors were flying, what was it, two years ago? Yeah. When he came back off his suspension? Yeah, it looked, like, they, he was, it looked like he was going to be gone two years ago. And now you're looking at it and saying, and your, your point to Byron Murphy being a ball hawk in, uh, in college? Now, six, six, six picks doesn't sound like a lot in two years. Believe me, Chris. Six picks from a cornerback not playing two full seasons is a lot of picks. So, yes, he was a ball hawk. And Buda Baker is a big safety. This is a team and a defense, especially with Patrick Peterson, basically I think still taking half the field off the table is opportunity for Byron Murphy just to say, I'm going to develop. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get an opportunity and develop. And then when Patrick Peterson moves on, I could be that other half. Of the, I could take the half the field away. Which comes to my number one pick. Conventional wisdom at this point would have some of the upper echelon players from this draft be the pick. I say nay. My pick is Brian Burns. Carolina Panthers defensive end. My reasoning behind this is simple. They're going from a 34 to a 43 defense, which astonishes me to find out that most of Ron Rivera's career, he had played a base 43. And then for one season, he moved to a 34 defense. 34 defense being three three down linemen, four linebackers. Uh, moving that, when you've done it all your career, makes no sense, which could have expedited his uh, removal. And I understand if you have the talent at linebacker, you're going to play the defense that you have talent for, but... Realistically, if you're like Bill Belichick, you just play the scheme that your opponent to counter your opponent. So going all in on on playing a base thirty four defense when it's not been your bread and butter made me is, is kind of questioning to me. Why I picked Brian Burns is he got seven and a half sacks playing base thirty four as a rookie, and he's a defensive end so. He doesn't. He's not going to get a lot of opportunities to rush the passer or not get double teams. And now playing a forty-three defense with four down linemen, uh, with your head coach being a defensive-minded head coach who now has what was it? Eight-year contract was he? Eight years? I believe so. Yeah, six, eight years. Yeah, um, so at least six. And you have Kwan Short in the middle, who has been there for a while and has his big contract. And you drafted Derek Brown, who was one of the top defensive linemen in the draft. Just speaks to the middle of the defense is going to get sucked up by Short and Brown. Brian Burns is going to get a lot of opportunity to take that seven and a half sack and turn it into double digits. And I mean deep double digits. We're talking 15 plus. I know it's I'm going out on a stretch, but... 
their their secondary needs a lot of help. They just it's just full of guys I don't know. It's either A, I don't know them, or B, they're not they're not they're not helpful. Eli Apple is their best corner. He's been in three teams now, and he hasn't hit his fifth year yet. So I think this is gonna give a lot of opportunity for Brian Burns to just wreak havoc and you have a statue in I'm not disparaging Tom Brady but he's semi a statue in Tampa Bay Drew Brees is another year older and Matt Ryan is Matt Ryan is Matt Ryan (laughs) he's prone to make mistakes when it matters most they don't have a starting running back right now so and you're only Edo Smith how dare you We'll, we'll go with that. I just that. proved your point for you. We'll go with that. Yeah. I just think there's a lot of opportunity there for Brian Burns to take seven and a half sacks and double it. But you have Todd Gurley. Again, <laughs> I proved my point. Because by the by the sixth, sixth game of the season, Todd Gurley might not be on the field. Because no, he will be because it will be his first game of the season. <laughs> so, with that said, Chris, who is your number one? Well, it's kind of funny. I told you, I told you last time when we went over our offensive list before the show that I kind of went with players who hadn't established themselves as stars. You went with Kyler Murray at number one, and I was like, "Oh man, you know, I think he's already there." But you said you felt he was going to explode, correct? Go to that next level, and I can totally see that with all the weapons they have around him and his own talent. Well, I turned around for defense. I did essentially the same thing you did, but instead of choosing the number one overall pick from two years ago, I chose the number two overall pick from two years ago in Nick Bosa. He was great last year. He's fast. He's deceptively fast. He can get to the, the some of the league's fastest quarterbacks and players, and it seems like a blink of an eye. He's strong. He, I mean, this guy, every everything you can possibly want in a defensive player this guy has. It's been one season, and he's probably one of the more feared defensive players in the league at that position. I think he's going to explode. I think he's going to be even bigger. I think he's going to be one of the lead leaders in sacks. I think he is going to, when he's not sacking the quarterback, get double and and sometimes triple teamed if you want to throw the running back in there to try to chip him. This guy is going to turn into an unstoppable force, and... As good as he was last year. And as good as he was last year, he's going to make that look like nothing. He is going to be the cornerstone of that defense. As as great as Nick Bosa can be, he's going to be better than his brother. I mean, if you're going to put a Bosa or a Watt... On the field, I'm not betting against him. There's some football bloodlines right there. You watch him, and you go, damn, look at him play. Like, there's just something special about him. Bosa is one of those players. Uh, Nick. Bosa is one of those players, because you always confuse. I don't want to confuse you. Mess up their names a few times. I would have disagreed with you a thousand percent. Had, and I, and I was kind of shitty on this pick. 
initially, not because of the player, because I thought they had other needs when they took that pick that they traded DeForest Buckner with. But then reevaluating Jovan Kinlaw, I mean, you basically shipped a guy out of town, got a first, a first, a top fifteen pick, and then you took a a guy who's going to replace him, and maybe do a little bit more. Um, teams are not going to be able to just ignore Jovan Kinlaw. They probably can. I don't want to diss Solomon Thomas, but. He's not what they expected him to be with, I think, a top, at least a top 20, if not ten top 10 pick. And then you still have Eric Armstead, D Ford. I think you're wrong. You can't chip or double cover Nick Bosa. You know, I said, no, I said they're going to try to. All right, but I don't think you can even you, – you can't even do that because there's so much other talent on that, on that, going to be on that field. They're not going to – they're not going to have not have four guys on the field. It's going to be four defensive linemen at all times. Your problem as an offense is going to say, which four guys are on the field? Because the backups, other than D Ford, I don't know much about them, but I'm sure they played because who who didn't play? Uh, D Ford did play for a little bit, and they had a ro- and their rotation suffered and their production went down. So some of these guys got opportunity. There's going to get more opportunity because they're going to install a couple of these guys more, a little bit more. They are not going to be able to, to, to double cover Nick Bosa. They're not going to be able to chip him too much because, to your point, he gets around the edge incredibly fast. He bends better than most players you see. He bends like Von Miller. And when I say bends, I mean he gets lower than the off, offensive yeah. tackle and just gets around him. And if you get low enough without losing too much uh, stability, they can't reach. So you're right, he's going to be explosive. I just don't see how they're going to be able to double cover him because Kinlaw, as much as he only had one season, is a terror and going to be a terror in the middle. And then you have two other exceptional first-round picks, plus you you signed Eric Armstead, and you still have D Ford, who is an edge guy, a pure edge guy. And you put on fourth down, you take Armstead out or you slide Armstead in the middle. And now you have Bosa, Kinlaw, Armstead, and then Ford on the other side. I mean, I just, I I throw my hands up and say, what am I going to do? Because you still got three linebackers who are just disgusting. Trade for DeAndre Hopkins and have a mobile quarterback to throw the ball to. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to do. (laughs) Only one team can do that, so. Um, There is a, so. To, to, to tie the bow, I think there's there's two pl- two players I want to identify. Well, both ends of the spectrum. Uh, both ends of the, expe- the spectrum. What's that? Uh, on on one end, Devin Bush. I don't know if there's much. I mean, obviously, there's more he can do. Uh, but there's not much more he can do as a because he did a lot in his rookie season, which is why I don't think we identified him as a breakout player because I think he's already broken. He's already out. there. Yeah. Again. I saw him for two two seasons, no, three seasons at uh, Michigan. I saw the development each and every year. I saw why he's a top 10 pick. Yeah. I kind of wish a certain New England team had a top 10 pick, but I guess they don't suck enough to have that. No, 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 they did not. I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum. 
uh, at a team, a player I feel bad for because this is a continuing narrative with this certain team. Anybody in San Diego? Uh, no, this is or LA. Uh, excuse me, LA. No, this is New York. Top three, top three pick again. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Quinn yeah. and Williams. I mentioned this to yeah. you earlier. It depresses me that a talent. Quinn and Williams went to Alabama. Alabama has super talented players. Yeah. yeah. Four first round picks typically every year. Yet another player on the defensive line drafted by the Jets, who they put him in a base thirty four defense, three down linemen, four linebackers, and expect a top five player with top five talent who can penetrate, get to the quarterback, and you stick him in a, a defensive scheme. Oh, just just hold up blockers, and our linebackers are going to make plays. What happened with Leonard Williams? Super talented player. Where's he at now? He's across town. Got traded last year before the end of his fourth year. Jamal Adams has entered the chat. Jamal Adams, I just, I just, that, that's a, that's a whole different animal. I'm just talking defense alignment because you're. Well, no, what I'm saying, you said a talented player and they just traded him instead of knowing what to do with him. Well, yeah, that's, that's just haven't a comparison got there yet. Jamal Adams, right? Haven't got there yet, but um, uh, who's the other? Uh, uh, Richards Richardson. Oh yeah, yeah. Who I think he I think he's still playing, but he's another player who is a top 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 pick. Right. Wasted in a defense that just doesn't. This this is this is why I know I know you guys. If you're not a New England fan, you don't want to hear this. This is why Bill Belichick takes players and puts them in his system and utilizes their strength. Now, did it work with um, Michael Bennett? Well, it's not going to work with everybody. Nothing's right. foolproof. We figured we, he found out real quick it's not going to work because he has a, a certain scheme he wants to perform, and it's a scheme that's week in and week out based. And Michael Bennett has a uh, a skill set that is rush the passer, get to the quarterback, disrupt. And Bill doesn't want that every week. It only works only he only wants it if it works uh, for that matchup. Would Bill Belichick take Quinn Williams third overall? Probably not, because I don't know if he fits his scheme or week in and week out. Would he have taken uh, another player like Rashawn Gary, who I think I think I uh, equated him to a similar skill set of Richard Seymour? He might have taken him third overall because he has that skill set to move up and down the line, be a disruptor, but but also. Played to the strengths of the defense. So, unfortunately for anybody who gets drafted by the Jets, them not knowing how to use talent in the right positions is, is sadly, well, not sadly for us being Patriots fans, but for, as football fans, you like to watch good quality games. Uh, it's been a while since the Jets have been able to put that on, man. Unfortunately, it's par for the it, course right now. Yeah, so 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 many talented players have gone through there, and they just do not know how to use them. Watch Robbie Anderson be a star now. I don't doubt it. Watch him be a star. The kid has all the tools. Oh. Uh, he went to Carolina, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to know how to use him. And that's not because they're geniuses. That's because they got a player who they signed for a good amount of money to. They're going to put him in a position to succeed. They're not just going to say, well, you're good at this, but we're going to have you do that because that's what we want you to do. What are you doing? Why? And this is way before Adam Gase. This is way before, oh, what was their last coach's name? 
cannot remember it, but a Jets fan I used to work with could not stand this guy, and he would constantly just swear up and down at him. Um, but yeah, it's it's been years through multiple administrations, multiple uh, GMs, coaches, all this stuff. They just cannot get anybody in there who knows how to put a team together that can win. It's incredible to me. But I don't know. Maybe Antonio Brown can go play for him. I mean, why not? Because as we stated in the uh, in the beginning of the show, Antonio Brown has been training, working out, getting ready for an NFL return, he hopes, with none other than NFL Hall of Famer primetime Deion Sanders. On a funny side note, when I first read this, I read it, I, w- I was just waking up, and I read it as Deion Sanders was training for a comeback, which I found it hard to doubt Prime. But at his age, that would be one hell of a story. I reread it after a little bit of coffee and obviously saw that it was he was helping Antonio Brown. Now, you might say to yourself, why is somebody who was known to be outlandish, very boisterous, um, never ever was shy on opinions, would show up wearing, you know, mink coats and, and all this stuff. Why would he be the right guy to deal with the, uh, I guess you could say, fragile psyche of Antonio Brown? Because Deion Sanders played the part of the loudmouth, but he knew what he was doing the entire time. Right. He knew it. Deion Sanders was promoting himself as a brand. Deion was a brand. Primetime was a brand. He knew that. He knew how to market himself, and it made him a very, 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 very lucrative uh, contracts. And he's still being paid very well on TV to this day. And he's an entertaining guy. Uh, a little bit hard to, uh, if, if you're not really into the people being high on themselves, he can be a little hard to deal with at times. But I do find his analysis is very fair. He's honest. He doesn't just, you know, he's not just biased towards one position or one team. So... But a guy like this is perfect for A.B. Because he can say, hey, I know where you're coming from when you kind of get far out there and you start talking and you show up, you know, wearing, wearing a mink coat in 100-degree weather to an interview and all this stuff. I get it. But then Deion can teach him how to rein it in and not self-destruct. Because Dion was out there, but he was always in control. Yes. I mean, if you don't think he was, go back and watch some of these interviews. Deion always knew what he was doing. He's a salesman. He, he's a, yes. He's a salesman. He's selling his brand. He's selling you on him. He's selling you on prime time. And, that, you know, he's the perfect guy to get with somebody like Antonio Brown, who clearly, at this point, did not know how to come back from where, how, as far as he had gone. And people were not just gonna, people were not just gonna look at Antonio Brown and say, "Oh, he's probably better." You're gonna need somebody who has the respect of people in the game, and people know what kind of person you know uh, Deion Sanders is. A high caliber person who people can say, "This guy's signing off on Antonio Brown. He's been working with him. He's been I, I would have to say mentoring him. Maybe it's worth giving him a shot." Now, if Antonio Brown can't self-regulate and keep himself out of trouble and keep him doing stupid stuff, none of this will matter. But I think if you're looking for somebody who can be on kind of the same wavelength mentally, 
Prime's the right guy. I have a... I, I just... I'm waiting to see on AB. And there's rumors out there that Lamar Jackson wants the Ravens to sign him, which... I think it would be a mistake. I don't think he fits there. They don't need him. I, I, I mean, there's teams that can take him, of course. Um, I, I know the Buccaneers slammed the door on it, which... Rightfully so. They have enough weapons. Yeah, they don't need them either. Yeah, you don't. You don't need to add a person who wants the ball every down to a team that has multiple weapons. Um, it all depends on what happens with the allegations. I, I just personally, I I take fifteen feet, fifteen feet away from him until everything's cleared up. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of yeah. If it's never cleared up, or it takes three years to clear up, then so be it. But you know, if I'm an NFL team, I look at it like the Patriots are paying what nine million dollars to him because they signed him for essentially two weeks. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, you're an NFL team. You're going to look at that and say, until Roger makes his decision, you don't know what to do. So he can do all this with Dion and, and get himself ready and mind right. It's still not going to negate the fact that he has to look at these allegations and the team has to look at the allegations and say, are we even going to have him on the field? Is Roger going to put him on the um, exempt list from playing? We don't know. To be seen. It's honest, quite honestly, ever since he got released from the Patriots, all of a sudden the media hasn't wanted to talk about his allegations so much. It's kind of funny how that worked. Didn't happen beforehand. Sons no. of the Patriots, all of a sudden, all the dirt they can find on him, they find on him. And then the minute he's released, all of a sudden... Even you don't hear a, anything. Even his uh, engagement with the uh, LAPD um, when his uh, his uh, child's mother was there. Yeah, you know, haven't he, heard anything about that. Uh, that that was one day, maybe two. We brought it up on the episode. Uh, you can go back and listen to it if um, you want to hear the whole thing. Um, but even that, it was quickly gone. Uh, because he was off the Patriots already. So, I'm waiting to see on it. But I'll I just... conspiracy if you want, but it's funny how that works. Just yeah. go back look at the timeline. I mean, I, you can say, I mean, say what you want about it, but what happened, happened. Oh, so. trust me. I, I was, you know me, I listened to the radio, and it was it was pouring on the radio for days and Non-stop. days and days. Non-stop. And I didn't hear much of it when LAPD uh, interaction story came out. And I'm just going to wait and see on him. Um, I'm sure Dion will help, but it's really up to Roger and what these allegations come to fruition, yeah. if they come to fruition at all. I mean, if they get dropped, which I don't believe they're going to get dropped, but until that happens, you, you, you got to wait. Well, moving on. Baseball has a few more proposals yeah, yeah, before you restart the play. So this is going to be my, my weekly beat-up MOV? I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready. It's kind of mind. I mean, honestly, man, like, well, it's kind of like twice weekly. We have two shows a week, and it kind of seems like every episode. So, apparently, the MOBPA has a 114 game season proposal, and the owners have put forth a 50 game proposal where players' salaries will be prorated from their full amount to what it would be for 50 games, which is what prorated means. So, I didn't really have to explain that, but I did. Uh, I have to say, man, if if you've been saying 
for a long time they're not going to play this year. Yes. I felt that way until I saw the 50-game proposal. I believe if they turn that down, they just don't want to play. Correct. And you're not going to have baseball this season. And that will do massive damage to the game. I know I had said earlier in a couple episodes ago that it wouldn't be the end of the world if they didn't play because people would really want it when it came back. But this has gotten so ugly between the players and the owners and it's all surrounding money at a time when so many people are really hurting that people are not going to forget that. And it's going to get to a point where baseball loses a lot more than it gains by not playing. Correct. So there's no sport court in the world that's going to defend them if they can't make this work. Because if they don't... If they can't agree on either one of these proposals, either the way they are or adjust them at all, to work for both parties, it's just not going to happen. Well, put it through this way. Okay? And this should put a magnifying glass on, on the whole situation. The players' proposal of 114 games prorated would cover 70% of the original salaries. The league's 50-game schedule with full prorated rate would give them 30% of their uh, salaries. So both sides are, are kind of on the same page as far as the prorated amount now. Yes, they just... Okay. They're just... Unfortunately, it's about money. You can't get past the money. And nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. And so I get the narrative. When we talk, when we were talking about free agency, right, uh, for uh, the National Football League, a lot of people wanted to push it off because no one wants to hear about money. But it's a different argument. That wasn't about haggling over money. That was new contracts being handed out, new opportunities for players being handed out, and, and a new year. And, and this, this is about actually getting paid in a time where no one, a lot of people aren't getting paid. And you're haggling over essentially 40% for what? And I get you're putting yourself at risk. But you're not really a contact sport. Are they really, though? No, right. They're not really a contact sport. All right? So you're not hockey. You're not football. And to uh, e- even more, you're not soccer. Soccer has a lot more contact. NBA, NBA's got a lot of close proximity, too, though. So that's even that could be so, more dangerous. So, I mean, I mean yeah. unfortunately for baseball, you are the outside of... I understand I don't consider uh, NASCAR and um, golf a sport. But in the, in the lexicon... Their sports. Outside of, of, of golf and NASCAR, actually just golf, because NASCAR, you look at it, pit crews. Yeah, the, the pit crews are close. There's yeah. up to 10 or 12 pit crews, and pit row is, what, three football teams? Essentially, we're the people, yeah. Um, so realistically, other than golf, uh, baseball has the, most, the least amount of contact um, or groupings. It, it's because you're haggling over money and you're doing it in the media is what's gonna, is what making it a problem. You're, you, already had a fi- you already had a fan issue as it was. People had a lot of problems with your game as it was. You don't involve the game at all. At all. And when you try to, it takes literally three to four, five years to evolve a game. Your commissioner will come out and say, we're going to institute 
pitch clocks. And that got put down so quickly. Uh, but he puts it in the minor leagues. Well, it doesn't really help when if you put stuff in the minor leagues and it never gets to the major leagues, unfortunately. So I'll stand by my claim. This isn't going to happen. The MLB season's over. And as we've talked about before, the NBA is going to start in December. And the playoffs is going to end if we have a full season. There's no, and if there's no second wave and everything goes back to normal as far as playing, where NBA, you know, full season, full playoffs, that'll run into August. I think the numbers bear out it would run into August if it started in December or it would run into September. I'm not sure about the timeline. Right, right. But regardless, Chris, if it runs into August, it would be late August. What starts up in September? Football. So basically, NBA and NFL will crush any ratings that the MLB wants to try to get. Oh, they try to go against those teams during their biggest. Well, yeah, they're already no, they're already no. going against the NFL for September and October. Yeah, but they they have those games at a lot of different times. Like I, I think you and I, like, we're Sox and Pats fans. A lot of times you'd have uh, a 1 o'clock Patriots start mm-hmm. and, and a, a 4.30 or 7 o'clock uh, a Red Sox start on a Sunday. Or, you know, if it was a Monday night game, I mean, well, if it was a Monday night game, it would probably both be on by the same time, but that's, that's very rare. But, I mean, they compete, but in certain markets you really don't have a lot of uh, cross crisscross between them. But if they go to a place but they have a limited number of fields, but they have to play so many t- games per day. And then you have the NBA doing the same thing. NBA is going to get better ratings. That's not even that's, – that's, people are not nearly as fed up with the NBA as they are. Because the NBA has seemingly tried to find ways to get back on the court the entire time. Yes. They've been tried, they've tried to stay in the public eye. They've tried to do um, games and other sorts of things for charity, whether it be online, uh, streaming. You know, they, they've tried. Some of those work, some of those didn't. But you got to appreciate the effort and try to stay connected with each other and the fans and get back on the court. So I don't think you know I don't think anybody's really discussed it with the NBA at all because they're they're very much trying to get back on the court and move forward. Right. Um, yeah, I know that's that's our last topic, but I just wanted to say real quick on baseball, I have defended them vehemently the entire time. I've been very hard on them, but I have said I love the game of baseball. That doesn't change. But I'm going to tell you what. If you can both agree, both the Players Association and the owners can agree on a prorated amount of money, and the only thing stopping you is an amount of games because you have to get an extra couple thousand dollars here or there, you're going to be hard-pressed to get me interested. I mean, people are feverishly hoping for the return of baseball, and I have a couple fantasy leagues I'm in. Uh, one that we're in together. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I'm in is is uh, different people that that I met through um, my old job, and I got an update. You know, this past week, hey, we're going to do the draft differently this year because of the circumstances. And I've won that league many times. It's fun. The guy, the great guys in that league. I don't even care. I'm like, I, <laughs> there's so much other stuff going on right now, like. I, I don't really care that Bryce Harper is going to make 
six million instead of thirty six million. Poor baby. Like that. This this is what your 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 put, players are putting out things in the media. Owners are putting out things in the media trying to make the other side look bad. Guess what? You both look like a holes. Yeah, and you got to come together because there's only so much defending of baseball I can do, and I can't defend the way you're acting right now. So get it together, get back on the field, shut up and play. Now, NBA, NBA, interesting, an interesting thing they're doing, and and there's some teams that are speaking out against it. Honestly, um, not in the way you would think, but. So there's there, there's there's a proposal on the table that they're going to talk about um, a 22 team restart where they'll figure out the because they want to kind of get teams opportunity to, to warm up and then give opportunities to a couple teams to maybe get into the the playoffs uh, just because sometimes the last three four days there's a little bit of jostling at the eight seed. Um, so they're looking at a 22-team um, schedule. They've already put to bed an option for the 30 teams. See, didn't they only have like six games left of the regular season? Yeah, it was a handful. Why it, don't they just play it out? I don't understand that. Um, I guess they just don't want the – it might be the player uh, amount of players. I don't know, but apparently they've already put, a, put to bed um, 30 teams. Because if you look at it, Chris – It seems weird to me. There's, there's – um, I technically there's only one team eliminated from the playoffs, and that's the Golden State Warriors. Uh, out of all the teams, there's only one team. But realistically, yeah, you're looking at well, the eight seed, between the eight seed and the nine seed in the uh, East. It's like six games, and but in the West, between the eight seed and the 12 seed, it's like three games. So there's a lot of teams in the West. It's a little bit more right, right. A little more. There's a little more cloudiness because uh, Portland, uh, New Orleans, and Sacramento are essentially two and a half games behind Memphis. So I think they want to create a. They want to tr- create a little bit of uh, drama with with a few games, and two, uh, they want to get these teams kind of warmed up. Uh, they don't want them going in kind of flat-footed, if you will, to the playoffs, which is a concern for some of the play- uh, for some of the teams. It's the smaller market teams that are concerned because they're not they're going to be basically closed out of the uh, opening. So eight teams will not get an opportunity to play from March until, and if we go by what they're going to the reporting from March until. I guess beginning of November, which would they would start a training camp, huh. um, and it, it looks like they're going to make summer league, which would typically happen in August, uh, mandatory because there's such a gap between, you know, playing here, playing in March, and restarting in November. But I don't know if they'd happen in August or it happens September, whatever. Uh, but typically, summer leagues in August, but it's only for our first and second year players. So again, it's a little bit of difference. Again, we're in a different scenario here. Do you have an idea of 
what they can do to kind of integrate the other eight teams. Yeah, I ran this by you before the show, and uh, you, you mentioned the small, the smaller market teams being concerned. Uh, as far as I know, I believe all major sports have revenue sharing, so I don't know why they have the fear of losing out on that. Maybe they don't. I know the NFL does. I know Major League Baseball does. But my idea was, and I'm going to try not to lose you here because it, it it works in my mind, but when I try to put it, uh, vocalize it, it gets a little, little messed up here. So you take your your one through eight in each conference like you normally would, and you say, okay, yeah, those sixteen teams, the remaining fourteen teams, the uh, the nine through fifteen in each conference, and you have them essentially do like a round-robin-style play-in tournament. That way you're getting more games on TV. Uh, the players get some work in, which I, I, I would assume the only way you can, any kind of sport, you can actually stay in shape for it is to actually do it. And I'm sure these guys are playing with other people in their homes or wherever they're all able to work out. It's just not the same as being on the court with the caliber of athlete they're used to competing against. It's just not the same. So that's where the players get some get some work in. And all the fan bases get to watch their teams again, even though it's only a few times. It would almost be done like how the NBA has a draft lottery where the, the, the worst record has the most opportunity to get the number one pick. And then the second worst, uh, second worst team has the second best opportunity based on you know, the draft lottery. Be kind of reversed. The first team that missed the playoffs would be able to lose X amount of times. And it would the amount of times you were allowed to lose before you were knocked out of the tournament would decrease as you got lower and lower with your winning percentage. Now, if I haven't lost everybody completely here, that's good because I've started to lose myself a little bit. <laughs> but at the end of the day, when that was done, you would have... Uh, say four teams, which would bring the uh, the total up to twenty. But the top four teams, the top two in each conference, would essentially get a buy in the first round. So then, when the first round was done, you would add the four buy teams to the remaining teams, and you'd play it out like you normally would. It's a little convoluted. And I, I didn't I didn't really know if I was going to get into it on the, on the podcast, so I didn't write it down to make it a little better, easier to understand. But I just think if you did something like that, you could include every everybody. Now, these one of the issues with all these these leagues is revenue. You could sell more merchandise. You could obviously get more TV time. I think it would just be good to get everybody back out there on the court. And give them a chance. I mean, do you really think the number one or number two seed are, are really that worried about the 14th or 15th team in their conference? Uh, no, not typically. And, and, and like the round-robin style tournament with the decreasing losses available, like the last place team would only be able to lose once, then they'd be out. So if you're the 14th or 15th team in your conference, you don't have a two or three loss cushion. You lose once and you're done. Then you can fly back home. You can stay there and watch the rest of the games. I really don't care. It's your business. But it's like everybody gets a chance. Every fan base can kind of see their team at least one more time. Everybody can share in the revenue. 
Nobody can feel like they were left out. You, you can't say, oh, we had six games left, and you guys weren't actually mathematically eliminated. But we decided, probably wasn't likely. So these guys get to play, but you don't. You could avoid, you know, dissension later on, problems. I mean, I think it's a good idea. Obviously, if you're going to present it to the NBA, you want it stated a little more eloquently than I just put it, because I kind of came up on the fly. But my idea is good, and if you guys are interested in hearing a better version of that, I can write it out and, and, and quickly go over it next episode. Um, I hope I didn't lose you too much, but I just think that would that'd be a good way to do it. Because if there was games left, people want to see their team. Why not? The the easiest thing to do would be forget all that, play out the remaining schedule, and then just have the playoffs. I don't understand. I understand baseball having a short under season. I don't know why the NBA would have to, especially if teams are still jockeying for position. Give them a month to get prepared, play out the rest of the season. You're not going to have three or four games in between days like you do sometimes. You're going to have to actually play more than you know more than three games a week. Get out there and play. Decide on the court who the one through eight seeds are, and be done with it. But if you don't want to, excuse my idea, or you can find some convoluted way that makes you less money. I don't know. I think to your point that when you said what's the number one seed you're worried about, I just look at it. The Milwaukee Bucks are the number one seed in the East. I look. I look at this from the seven seed. All the way to the last team in the, in the in the conference, they would breeze right through them. Oh yeah, like hot knife through butter. They would have no problems. Look at the West. The West is always more competitive than the East. I don't understand it, but that's the way it rolls. The L.A. Lakers, I would say, because of the talent on the seventeen seven seed Mavericks and the. 8 seed Memphis I would say they beat both of those teams but as far as like breeze through them in one game we're just talking about one game the Blazers all the way well you know not I just keep thinking of the players on each of these teams if you're talking about one game it'd probably be Golden State Minnesota Phoenix the bottom three seeds would have no issues with but everyone from there up I mean in one game, one game, anything can happen. Uh, but in the East, it's it's far less competitive. So the East, I would say, would have less of an issue with it just because once you get to the Brooklyn Nets who don't have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving is being Kyrie Irving and deciding when he wants to play. He's trying to find the edge of the earth. Um, good luck with that, buddy. Uh, there's just not much talent, as, like top-end talent, from seven down to where Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston could just roll right through them and not really have a problem in one game. We're just talking about one game. To your idea, they wouldn't have an issue with it, I don't think. The Western Conference would because – I'm not going to get into names because you're just going to look at me like I have four heads. I know some players. Uh, but when I the, the ones I'm going to get would, in, would get into, you just your head be spinning just a little bit, which is fine. Um, but I guess the biggest problem is is I mean you already have 22 teams, 
But one of the biggest concerns looks like the amount of people that would be involved in having 30 teams. Um, it's, it is one of um, the biggest issues, I guess. But they need to have majority votes at the governor's meeting. It looks like they're going to get mo- the, the majority vote because they're all going to go rank and file as far as the governors. Um, that's what owners are called in the NBA. Um, it seems like that the the they're they're intimating some issues with money, but they're not really putting a focus on that. Uh, the re- I guess the the revenue sharing is not the issue; it's the sponsorships that you lose for your team locally. You could potentially lose money for because you're not involved. In that case, you should have been better and made the playoffs. <laughs> very true, Chris. I mean, it's very, pretty cut very and dry. True. If you're not I, getting money because of sponsorships because you're not playing in the playoffs, your team should not have done as poorly, and then you would have been in it and making more money. And I made that point to you earlier about you asked me, well, who's get, who would be the worst team? Actually, I have to refrain, uh, re- retract my statement about Oklahoma because they're the fifth seed. Um, after just you know part, parting ways with a bunch of players, I didn't realize that they were that good. But you look at Minnesota, Phoenix, Golden State, and then flip side, you know Cleveland. You understand why Cleveland is the bottom of the barrel because you lose the best player in the league, you're going to be the worst team. But a lot of these teams are just rebuilding, selling pieces off. What happened? Cleveland didn't lose Giannis. I'm sorry. Um, no, they didn't have Giannis. Um, I'm talking about or LeBron. Giannis, yeah. Uh, they had LeBron. Yeah. And they've been bad the past two seasons yeah, okay. since losing him. That's yeah. that's what I meant. Yeah, okay. You you lose a guy who gives you about 40, 45 wins on his own. You're going to be the worst team in the league. There's probably more teams and uh, wins than the Cavs have had since he left both years combined. <laughs> but I get the point of the uh, small market teams, but it seems like they're going to – on Thursday's vote, they're going to go rank and file and just approve the 22-team playoff. They're going to have um, – This is this is the plan for the Wide World Sports Complex, right, in Disney? Yes. yes. Yeah, great idea. I know. I already said it last episode about 20 minutes, but that, that, that's <laughs> I know. a great plan. Um, I feel bad for the small market teams. I do. I don't. Be better. Uh, but in the same breath, yes, Chris, I agree. Um but here, here's their here's their three issues, I guess: uh, impact of developing players, cultivating sponsorships, and selling tickets in markets where franchises struggle to gain hold. Atlanta Falcons have been playoff perennial teams for many many weeks or many many years. I'm sorry. They just can never draw. They draw in college basketball and college football. That's Dude, it. Dude, you seen the traffic in Atlanta? People are probably trying to get there. They just can't do it in time. I never no, I've never seen the traffic. Oh, dude, it's it's. But I know the Braves, the horrendous. Falcons, the Hawks, and when they were there, the Atlanta Thrashers could never draw. A couple of people I used to I used to work with had lived in Atlanta for a short time, and they say they just don't want to go there. Yeah, pa- pack a lunch because you're going to probably eat it before you get to work in the morning. Wow, <laughs> it's not really not really hours, but it is. So it's not like the crazy. Tampa Bay. It's not like Tampa Bay where they just don't draw. No, they got better things to do in Florida. That's true. 
No, Atlanta, I mean, in, in fairness, you probably have 80,000 people who leave to get to the stadium, but you probably have 20,000 that show up because the other 60 probably get tired of sitting in traffic and go home. So they'll just sell out every game with 20 people on the stands. I think I, I, think I want to bring up uh, what's going on. And I, get, I want to tie in on one sports thing, um, which it doesn't shock me, but it, it's disappointing. So with the, um, the death of, of George Floyd uh, in police custody, and I mean, can we can we call it what it was? It was murder. The murder of George Floyd. It, it was yeah. murder. Um, I hope we can come to the end, the end out, out out of this. We can come to a better place. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of what's been going on the past couple of days, uh, the looting, uh, the destruction of businesses, and I, I refer more to the uh, small businesses. That's what I look at. Um, yeah. I I. I don't want to discount the, the large companies, you know, the targets that are getting destroyed or the and looted, the uh, auto zones. I see a couple of them get destroyed and looted. I don't want to discount them, but I, I look more towards the small businesses that are getting absolutely demolished. I don't like that that's happening. And that's taken away from the fact that the focus needs to be on George Floyd and his family and what they're going through. And we need to recognize that even though we know we have a, a legal process that we want everything to be correct 100%, um, we need to expedite it. And I understand that they've come out, uh, the uh, Minnesota Attorney General said this is the fastest they've went from incident to charging somebody, but you had the information. That's BS. You had the information day one. Yeah, and, and, you had the information and the video day one. And and then you get another video that makes it even worse. Um, and all the information you're gathering. And then you get the information today that, and this is not reported. This is this is fact that the owner uh, the owner of a club called the Floyd family and told them that the police officer did do. Uh, bouncer duties at his club at the same time that uh, George Floyd did bouncer duties. So we don't know what, if anything transpired and if they crossed paths at all, but their working record at that place did coincide with each other. Mm -hmm. So bring those facts to bear. Uh, the fact that the, both the other three officers are not arrested is astonishing at this point. Um, the, the sports point I wanted to bring up that doesn't shock me, but it is disappointing, is that the New York Knicks have not made a, a public statement. And today, the Spurs um, head coach made a statement, uh, Greg Palatovich. So that was one of the two last teams they didn't make one. And now he's officially on the record and the team's on the record. So the New York Knicks are the only team that have not been on the record one way or the other. And I'm not going to read you the email because the email has been gotten by the Associated Press that uh, they're not going to make a public statement. Uh, they're going to handle everything internally and they're not going to say anything. And it doesn't shock me because James Dolan is probably the worst owner 
in any major sports since Donald Sterling. Look up Donald Sterling in your free time. And I will say James Dolan's worse. Worse than Daniel Snyder? James Dolan is worse than both of those put together. He has kicked people out for questioning his leadership of the organization. He has taken the New York Knicks. And you can ask any Knicks fan. We will top it off with three players from the New York Knicks wanted to go out and protest, as is their legal right. Absolutely. As Americans. As human beings. And it is not confirmed as of yet, but I want to get the names. I know um, it's Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, and I want to get the third one right, but I can't find the tweet. I apologize. There is a third one. I apologize to that third player. I cannot find him. But there, were, there was a report out, and it's not confirmed yet, so I'm just going to say it's, it's a report that both all three of those players, since they were willing to go out and protest, were going to get released. Which is beyond ridiculous. Here's the thing, too, man. If they were going out, if they were going out to protest and they had video of them smashing up liquor stores and stealing liquor bottles because, as you said, that isn't solving anything. Going out and, and vandalizing and businesses and, and people that had absolutely nothing to do with with, with the George Floyd situation that, that doesn't help anything. I mean, you see videos of people running out of Best Buy with four TVs. You're not being an activist. You're being a thief. There's a lot of people out there who are protesting and doing it the right way, not harming anybody and doing it civilly. And trying to stand with people in their in their neighborhood in their community, and and, and not cause more like d- 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 divisiveness between all of us as people. And those people who are rioting, they're they're not they're not it's not solving anything. And I know we don't ever get into really heavy stuff on this show. We don't talk politics, but I, I thought this was something, especially since we had a sports tie-in. Ben and I both felt it was kind of good to say something about it because. This stuff just needs to stop happening. This is very, very clearly a man who posed no threat, who was killed by by this this officer. Didn't need to happen. Shouldn't happen. I think I think the biggest the biggest point I can make is that Jalen Brown, a uh, Boston Celtics um, basketball player, drove 15 hours from Boston to Atlanta. Atlanta is where he's from, and did a peaceful process with Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Another NBA player, I believe he plays for Indiana now, but I think he's from uh, Atlanta. And they did a peaceful protest uh, a couple days ago. Uh, no issues. And then I saw a tweet on uh, from Camden, New Jersey, about police officers and protesters yeah, I saw protesting that too, together. Man. That was that was cool. Just walking along the streets with one another. Just, so it is it is possible. Yes, it's just a matter of. Everyone needs to come together as one and not be wanting to loot because there are people taking advantage of the situation and looting. Yeah. You you see it everywhere that they're stealing from shoe stores, electronic stores, malls, what have you. Don't need to do that because, it, it, again, I will come back to it. It is taken away from everything that happened 
to George Floyd. It's taken away from his family. Because, it, yeah, it gives people a reason to go, oh, well, look what they're doing. That's why. Well, no. How how do you react? George Floyd was on the ground. He was prone. He was in no danger. And he was straight up murdered by that cop. And all the other cops around watching him didn't kill him, but they are just as damn guilty. Uh, his police, Their police chief said as much. They were complicit in the act. Absolutely. So, but like you said, the looting and the rioting doesn't solve anything because it divides us more. If we're all going to be able to come together and stop this crap from happening, there just has to be a better way. And there's so many people out there who are legitimately trying to make a difference with peaceful protests. I, anybody, whether you had mentioned that there were some TV stations that were going to have an 8 minute and 46 second a moment of silence for the amount of time that the cop was kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Some powerful statements you can make without throwing a brick through a target window to steal a TV. That's not proving anything or changing anything. I know you don't tune into this show for current events, but man, this is something that just, you know, everybody's in this country's dealing with the whole COVID-19 thing. And just when it starts to look like maybe there's a way at the end of the tunnel, things are going to start getting a little bit better. Then this a-hole up in Minnesota has to go and kill this man. And everybody's losing their mind again. And it's when, when, when it, when is, man, I don't know. It, uh, it starts with action. And yeah. It starts with discussion, but it doesn't end. It doesn't, it's like the gun violence, the school shootings, anything that happens. It's not, it doesn't end in three or four days. It doesn't end in a week. The conversation continues. Right. Which, whatever you want to say about Kaepernick and, and, and what he did and, and what point he was trying to make, and maybe he couldn't express it in a clear and, and defined way. But he was making a point and he was making a, a narrative to continue and not, not end with one thing. And then there were players that came along to partner with him and try to eloquently point out what he was trying to do and what they're trying to do. And some could speak to it better. And I think that's what needs to happen. And there are plenty of, of NFL players, NBA players, who, who try to push that ahead and continue that. And I think what's going to happen is, is you're not going to have some players do it. You're going to see an entire leagues push forward and try to continue to be to to push the the equality forward throughout the entire United States. I think that's what's going to happen, um, and I, I'm concerned that there's going to be one sports league that is going to fall flat with this because. There's two sports leagues that I know will push push forward with, and I don't, I don't want to say narrative is a bad word, uh, but they're going to push this 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 movement ahead, and that's going to be the uh, NBA. NFL and the NBA. NBA. Yeah. Um, I, I hope the NHL um, pushes ahead. I, I know it's it's a majority um, majority of, uh, of of their players are white, but I, I believe that they. Sh- it, it it would be in their best interest 
to be forward thinking with this and not ride the coattails of the NFL and the uh, NBA. I'm concerned about the MLB because, as we mentioned earlier in the episode and every other episode before this, they're more concerned about the pay of play, and they're not as concerned about everything else. They weren't concerned about the COVID-19. They're more concerned about the money. Money. So, and, and this comes down to again, it's like you know, obviously you don't turn turn into this show for current events, and it, and we were saying like, oh, this sports team didn't say anything, that sports team didn't say anything. This has to be a thing in order to move forward, where everybody acknowledges the problem, and I think that's a good thing because a lot of times you see you see sports teams acknowledge things, and it's like it's not a sports matter. Don't worry about it. Just play your game. This is a real life matter. And I'm guilty myself of not realizing the extent of the severity of the situation, honestly. And sadly enough, it took me seeing the video with George Floyd. I don't watch a lot of news. A lot of it's politics and this side bashing that side, that side bashing this side for doing the same crap, but it's different because it's our guy or your guy or whatever. But I saw this... And, man, it made me really look into a lot of things that have been happening the past couple of years having to do with, you know, I'll let you say, we don't got to beat around the bush, man. This is our show. We're adults. Having to deal with black people and, and, and white police officers. It's a problem. It's a big problem. And it starts with communication. And everybody has to stand up and say, this is not okay. No matter what color you are, it's not okay to do it to people. Just because of their skin color. It's not cool. And we're not talking about him getting a little rough with the guy. Maybe throwing him down on the ground, skinning his knee. He killed this man. And there's just no excuse for this kind of behavior being okay. Because it's not. And I hope his family can find some peace. And I hope hope he gets justice. I really do. But there is no easy transition from that to the end of the show. So... We are going to, as always, ask you if you have any questions, comments, or opinions, anything you heard on this show today, we invite you to do so. And Ben, where can you do that? Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook, that's Ben and Chris Talk Sports, or you can hit us up on Twitter, at BCTSPod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you so much for listening, as always. And in these times, more than ever, we ask that you please stay safe and stay healthy. We're going to get all through all this stuff together, and we will see you right back here Friday morning. Thank you.